I started looking at other people, especially women, in high stress and powerful leadership situations. And what I saw is that they did not walk away from stress. They did not avoid stress. They seemed to move, if not toward it, at least through it. And that really sparked my interest. And now I'm a family physician. And so a lot of what I do is help people who are in very stressful situations. Hello, and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Tsuk, and today I'm honored to chat with resilience expert, Dr. Deborah Gilboa, AKA Dr. G. With a background as a board-certified physician, she's taken her expertise beyond medicine to help families, organizations, and businesses turn stress into an advantage. Dr. G's continuous humor and innovative strategies are renowned for changing attitudes and creating resilience through personal accountability. She's a prominent major personality featured on Today, Good Morning America, and more. Her experience living a busy life with her four sons in Pittsburgh exemplify her own resilience approach to challenges. In this episode, we will learn how we can enhance our resilience when confronting challenges and stress, both personally and within the organizations that we lead. So stay with us. So I will be happy to start with asking you if you can share with us a transformative moment when you realized that embracing stress could lead to greater resilience. And, you know, I believe that it took you to your personal journey that led you to this point. So when I was in medical school, which goes back 25 years, in the 90s, our professors would say this phrase to us, and I heard it in class after class, whether we were studying the heart or the lungs or the kidneys or the brain, they said, stress is the new smoking. Tell your patients to avoid it at all costs. And in graduate school, as, as you and a lot of your community probably know, you're not usually thinking critically about what you're learning right away. You're just trying to take it in. It's like drinking from a fire hose, right? So mm-hmm. I was just jotting this down in my notes every time I heard it. Stress is the new smoking. Stress is the new smoking. And then I realized that it was making me very uncomfortable because at the end of every lecture, there were announcements. And those announcements were, remember, please, that you should be involved in three research studies. You should also be the leader in at least one interest group in medicine and involved in two other interest groups. You should also be doing this. And remember, we have our talent show coming up. And remember, and I thought, They're trying to kill me. There was so much stress at the end of every class, along with assignments, along with tests, along with clinical time. And I thought, if stress is the new smoking, I've just walked into the cigarette factory. What is happening here? And I looked around. This was maybe my third year of of medical school, of graduate school, when this happened. And I, that afternoon, was on the wards in the hospital. And I was watching nurses deal with unbelievable stressors from their patients, from the physicians that I was training with, from the, you know, the supplies that weren't in the right place, all these things. And I saw that some of them were really thriving. And I asked, I actually asked the nurse who was assigned to our team. I said, so this looks really stressful. And she's like, whew, honey, it is. 
And I said, but we're learning how bad stress is for you. And she said, maybe, but I think stress is the only thing holding me together. She said, it tells me where I should point myself. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I started looking at other people, especially women in high stress and powerful leadership situations. And what I saw is that they did not walk away from stress. They did not avoid stress. They seemed to move, if not toward it, at least through it in a way that mm-hmm. I thought was much more attainable than avoiding all stress. And that really sparked my interest. And now I'm a family physician. And so a lot of what I do is help people who are in very stressful situations. And by the way, I add stress to their lives. They come in to see me for an appointment and I say, hey, you can't feel this, but your blood pressure is very high. Or I check this lab work and you can't know it, but I think maybe you have lupus. Or And so I'm, I'm continually giving people information that adds stress to their life in an effort to make them healthier. Mm-hmm. And so that dichotomy really changed how I look in every way at stress and what it's for in our lives and how to approach it in a way that does make us healthier and not the opposite. So it's interesting what you say that at the beginning you learn to ignore the stress, right? But you actually try to avoid it. If something seems stressful, you should walk away. But in leadership, we cannot do that. And in leadership, we are often causing stress in other people's lives. We say, hey, no, this has to be done tomorrow. The meeting's now, mm-hmm. not later. We say, uh, we're taking on a new project. We uh, we are going to launch a new product. We say, mm-hmm. we're going to move into new markets. And our people go, oh, that is so stressful. And if leaders buy into the idea that causing stress in people's lives makes them the villain, and by the way, in a society that says you should avoid stress, when someone does cause you stress, they become the bad guy. And yet leaders have to be that bad guy all the time to achieve their mission, to meet their goals, to keep a company running so that it can afford to employ the people that work there. And so that dichotomy is something I think leaders really need to address. And I think actually today we are living in a stressful situation, a lot of uncertainty. So it's part of our life. If we ignore it, we invest in a lot of energy to to deny it instead of working with it. So you actually say, okay, this is a paradigm shift. Stress is part of our life. Okay, now how we can deal with it better, how we can use it in order to navigate our lives, our organizations, our teams, where we want to. So what do you offer leaders to do with the stress when they give their employees uh, more work and feel their stress out? How can they and use it differently in order to take it to a new place. I'd really like leaders to hear two things. One, because of the way our brains work, basic neuroscience, our brains are trying to keep everything as homeostasis is a word we learn often in high school biology classes. Our brains attempt to keep everything in a very narrow range, meaning um, I might be an outdoor temperature that's anywhere between minus 10 Celsius and 40 Celsius, but my body will work very hard to keep my inner temperature within just a degree Celsius, right? No matter what's going mm-hmm. on around me. And in that same way that our brains fight for homeostasis, they our, our brains are very skeptical of change. And one of the mistakes that leaders often make is they think, if, okay, I have a change that I need to let some people in my organization know about, or my customers know about, or my vendors know about. And they think, 
if I can find the right way to announce it, they won't be bothered by it. They'll be excited about it. They'll see the opportunity, but they won't be upset. And that is false. Mm-hmm. We have to understand that the brain looks at every change as potentially dangerous. No matter how much they trust you, no matter what a good leader you've shown yourself to be, no matter how committed you are to the mission. But when a leader announces a change and people react negatively because their brain says, could we die? So the brain says, what could I lose here? And do I trust this? And this, what will be uncomfortable about this? Those are the three safety mechanisms in the amygdala. The amygdala says change and looks for loss, distrust, and discomfort. And so... Mm -hmm. When leaders announce change and they get hit with that loss or distrust or discomfort, they think one of two things. Either they think it's a referendum on their leadership. People don't trust me. They don't think I'm doing a good job. They don't know how committed I am to the mission. Or they think it's a referendum on those people's character. They're lazy. They're difficult. They're stubborn. They're old fashioned. It's not a referendum on anything. It's a reflex reaction in the brain. So I want leaders to understand it's a reflex, just as much as when I hit your knee with a reflex hammer, you kick. If your brain is healthy, you kick. And leaders announce change, stand right in front of their people while they announce the change and get kicked by that reflex. And then they get angry. Don't stand right in front of them so you don't get kicked. And don't bother getting angry because it's not about your leadership and it's not about their character. It's simply what our brain needs to do. Just means the brain is healthy. So in preparing yourself to announce change, do it the best you know how and expect it to be difficult no matter what. That's the first thing. Can I refer to it and then we'll go forward to the second thing? I really love it and I I think that I want to offer another tool that beyond expecting it, you can talk this frustration, you can give it place and say, okay, I understand you're frustrated from this change. I understand you're maybe eager or maybe uh, in a little bit of anxiety or don't feel comfortable. That's okay. It's part of the process. We're here together with it. So legitimizing it, I think it's part of the process, speaking this new language and bringing it into the space. What do you think about it? What you just said is really important because often people will say, well, you can normalize it, but you actually said legitimize it. And that's even better. So not just normalizing it. I know it's normal. You know, when my two-year-old kicked people, I thought to myself, I was told this was normal, but it's not okay. I have to get them to stop. When we legitimize something, we say, not only is it normal, it's reasonable. It's reasonable that you're reacting this way. And then we don't say the word, but we have to move forward. We say the word and, and it's, it's reasonable and we're moving forward. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of my work is consulting with leadership and helping them understand the strategies that then help people also move forward. But the one thing I can hand leaders right now is this understanding that there is no way you could prepare it correctly such that no one would have a difficult negative reaction. That's just a reflex in the brain. The second thing and the question that you asked me to answer it even more specifically is how can leaders then bring this stress to their people? And in that, I would say, I want you to curate the stress. Instead of avoiding stress, curate it. What does it mean when you curate something? It means you choose it intentionally and you bring it to people with the right context in the right time. We've all curated the art on our walls at home. If you put up a picture of your family, you curated that. You chose, I want everyone who is here in my space to see that this is something important to me. This is the picture I wanted. It's the moment I wanted. Um, So you curated that. We 
curate often what we take in in media. You have a little bit of time free and you go to Netflix or some other platform and you say, what am I in the mood for? And you curate your intake. You say, I do want that. Oh, that's too long. Um, that sounds scary and I'm home alone. I don't want that. Or that sounds boring and fluffy. I'd have to watch the whole season to understand it. It's too in-depth. You curate. You choose intentionally. We can do that with our stress for our people. We can say, um, you know, I talked about changing over our operating system, but we have too many other things going on right now. I'm not going to choose that one right now. We have the opportunity to hire two new people to help with this new project. And onboarding people is always stressful for everyone, for the new people, for the people who were already there. But you know what? That stress will actually move us better towards the change that we need for our mission. So I will choose that stress. Even in the midst of all this that's going on, I will say we're bringing on these two new people. We curate the stress meaning. Every stress that comes to us, we ask ourselves as a leader, does this move us towards the change we want? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I love it. You say usually we will feel stressed, but in order to understand if we are going the right path, we should work with the stress and ask ourselves, do we think it's a critical stress that we want to experience right now in order to achieve our goals? And if we think we feel it's not the right stress, maybe it's not the right point. So you're actually inviting people and this connects to the mindfulness aspect to listen to the body, right? To work with the body, to feel what sensation arises in their body and to try to have clarity about their sensation. Because let's be honest, Usually, a lot of times, we don't know what we are feeling, what we are sensing. So I invite people to give space and time and to respect their sensations and explore what they are telling them, kind of, right? It's kind of talking and walking with our full body. It's absolutely, absolutely correct. And if we don't take that time, we end up saying things to ourselves later like, oh, I knew that. I, I felt that might be the wrong thing. But but we, it's, it's almost as if we cataloged it without paying attention to it at the moment. And so you teaching me as a leader that when I have a decision in front of me, slow down for a moment or moments and interrogate my own reaction to it. I can tell you from a neuroscience standpoint, most change won't feel great. It's not like you will find some alignment where your body says, yes, stress seems wonderful, but you can say, this stress seems in alignment with the pressures I want to get us towards our mission. But, you know, it takes me to another thought. Okay, we understand that stress is part of life and we can't deny it. Although when research showed that when we are in a stress state of mind, we are not creative. So, you know, I want to ask you, how do you think leaders can create an environment that does decrease stress in order to enable people to thrive and to be creative? Otherwise, we are on the survival mode, right? And we want to move to the thriving mode. Okay. So I actually, from a neuroscience standpoint, would contextualize that a little differently. When you say stress and when most people say stress, what they mean is when we're pushed upwards out of our optimal range for stress to too much stress. When we are in our optimal range for stress, meaning we're paying attention to what we want to be paying attention to, to what aligns with our priorities, we're often very much in flow. We need a little bit of stress to be in flow, to be creative, mm -hmm. to be 
to keep in mind our goal and be moving towards it in ways that are interesting and different or creative. So what you say about that survival mode, that's when things have pushed us out of our optimal range for stress up into too much, when we've got yellow flags, when we're feeling really threatened. And so how do we get ourselves back down? You know far more about this than I do, but we all already have some strategies that we use when we're feeling too stressed. Some are known to most people. Taking deep breaths, walking outside for a moment, doing something that raises our heart rate a little bit for exercise, listening to music that changes our brain chemistry, taking a sip, a, a sniff and a sip of tea or coffee, something that changes the way you breathe, changes your posture, changes your focus. All of those things can bring us back down into our optimal range. So you're saying mm. stress must always mean we're under threat. Actually, no, we need a little bit of stress just to get us out of bed. Meaning, and I don't mean that in a bad way. We need a little bit of stress to not text while we're driving. We need a little stress to back away from the edge of a roof of a very high building, right? Just to keep us paying attention. Our brain uses stress to tell us what to focus on, but when there's too much and we feel under threat, we can't focus at all. That's right. And you also talked about being in the flow state of mind. And actually, you know, I talk about holding tensions. And in order to be in the flow state of mind, we need to hold the tension between the opportunity and our ability, right? So if it's an opportunity that I don't have the skills, so I'll be really stressed out and I won't be able to be in the flow state of mind and creative. But if I be bored and the opportunity was will be not exciting for me, I will actually be bored and I also won't be in the flow state of mind. So it's actually holding the tension between these two options in order to keep ourselves going in the flow state of mind and actually yeah. being creative and innovative, right? Yeah. And I do think that the only, the only thing that a listener might be thinking about this idea of curating your stress so that you can be in that flow state is that some stresses choose us. We don't choose For every example. stress. Right. As a leader, mm-hmm. we do actually choose a lot of our stresses. Yes, I want to try for that larger thing. We're going to open up this market. But the pandemic chose us. Um, mm-hmm. A major weather event that interrupts your supply chain or a local pressure in your community that has nothing to do with your business but impacts your business. A bad review. Those things come at you. And so in those situations, you don't have the opportunity to curate the stress itself but you do have the opportunity still to curate your response. For sure. Can you give, share with us a real life example where a leader's shift in perspective on stress led to a remarkable transformation with the team or organization? Absolutely. So I was working with an organization that from a, a uh, employee culture standpoint, they'd done everything right. They decided they would survey their entire culture they asked all kinds of questions. And one of the things that they asked of all of their employees was, what's an irritant in our workflow or in our systems? What's something that, that you just can't stand? And interestingly, vastly overwhelmingly, their entire company hated their payroll system. It was clunky. It was frustrating. It just did not work well. So, And it was very online. right? This was really just a technical operating system that they had hired out. They, they had bought it. And they'd been using it for years. And they hadn't investigated it, but they said, they called me and they said, so 96% of our people can't stand our payroll system. That feels like an easy 
not easy, but a, a comparatively easy thing to fix. And we really could use this, right, to show our people that we're listening and we care and we want this to be better because how you get paid is really important. So that they had done that. They had tasked their CFO with researching new payroll systems and, and his team had done that. And then they'd come back and they'd gotten it down to three. They vetted those three. They chose one and they launched it. And the leadership attitude was pat me on the back. I did everything right. I asked you. I heard you and I, I acted because of what you all told us. And the reaction from the company, from the employees was awful. They were angry. Awesome. Yeah. What do you mean? Right. They, and they were, the leadership team was as surprised as you are. You know, they were like, how can you do this? I, and they, what was happening was that the employees were feeling all of this loss and distrust and discomfort, because even if we don't like our status quo, the brain believes the status quo is safer than a change. And I bet there are some people listening think thinking, well, and our brains are usually right. Just because it's a new system doesn't mean it's better, but now it's a new system. So it might be just as bad. And I can't remember my login and I don't understand what button to push. And I my PTO, what if it gets lost? Or, you know, so I had my workarounds for the old terrible system. So this this leader came to me because I, they'd worked with me before around change navigation, which is what I do. And he said, look, I thought we'd done everything right here and I'm ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm really frustrated. And I stopped myself from writing an angry email to the entire company and decided to try calling you first. And he said, do I just ditch the system or do we just push through and make them use it? And what I said was, there's a third reaction that's possible. It doesn't have to be fine, forget it, we won't do it. Or, well, you asked for it and we're doing it, so just live with it. There, there's another option. And the other option, the, the response to this unpredictable stress from his point of view that he could curate was using one of the strategies that helps other people get through those three reactions, the loss, distrust, and discomfort, and that is autonomy, some choice. So they went back to their folks after we had talked about it and they said, so we are using this new payroll system. Please let us know if you would like to start with it September 1st, September 15th, or September 30th. Which pay period? By October, everybody's on the new system. But which pay period would you like to do it? And attached to this email is just a one-page flow explaining why we looked for a new system and why we chose this one. So they used processing time. You can, have a, you can have a whole month to get used to this longer than you thought you could. Transparent information and autonomy to help people build their resilience around this change, to help people navigate change better, which is, by the way, all resilience is, the ability to navigate change with intention and purpose towards your goal. So then this leader, when they, we had our debrief call, he said, okay, so the anger went from 90% of people being upset about it to 5% of people. And I said, that's a win. There's 5% of people are going to be upset about anything. And he said, now we want to talk to you about the next three changes we have planned and see how to handle them differently. Because it's not a binary decision. We're doing it and you live with it, or we won't do it and I'll live with it. There are ways to curate your response. So it's interesting. I'm circling back to what we started in the conversation, talking about being in the uncertain times so we don't like it as human beings, right? We don't like that they're moving our cheese. And I want to delve into one of the points that you said, the autonomy. 
let's understand or understand more fully how having our autonomy increases our resilience. That are the interesting points. Children think that autonomy means you can do whatever you want, but adults know that that's not the case. Autonomy means choices within parameters, within limits. And what we know about the brain is that the amygdala, as I mentioned, is what mediates this response to change. What will I lose? Can I trust this? What will be uncomfortable? As soon as we can light up what's called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which happens to be at the front of our heads, as soon as we can light that up, it dampens the amygdala. It doesn't turn it off. The amygdala is a safety mechanism. You can't turn those all the way off, but it turns it down. So as soon as I'm asked a thinking choice question, I have to use this front part of my brain to think about it and answer it. And that calms the amygdala down. So any autonomy, as a matter of fact, Karen, if I was your employee and you needed to have a hard conversation with me and you said that thing, hey, come into my office, I'd like to talk to you. You can see I'm already lost, distrust, discomfort. You might likely choose as soon as I walk in to give me some small, unimportant choice. Can I get you some tea or some juice? Would you like us to sit over here in this corner or do you want to come sit by my desk? Anything that causes me to think does not get rid of all of my loss and distrust and discomfort, but it's like turning the faucet down. So it doesn't even have to be a choice about the issue at hand. Do you want us to bring in the person who made these accusations against you or talk without them? That's very stressful. But give me any choice and it will dampen that. So that's the science behind why autonomy is helpful. But another thing is that it tells my brain I have some control hmm. and my brain knows that I will work to protect me first and foremost, my safety. So letting me know that in this situation, I have some control makes me feel immediately safer. That's really interesting, you know, because it, really, it connects to the mindfulness piece, because for me, mindfulness and being a self-aware, it's the ability to create the space between the stimulation and the response and have a free choice. And actually you say, once we have this ability, we are more resilient, right? Because we feel that we have the power of our life. We can navigate instead of being a victim. So it's shifting our mindset. I didn't think, I didn't see it, as you said, it was really interesting from the neuroscience aspect. If I need to sum, summarize a conversation, what are you saying? The ability to be mindful to our life, to our responsibility, and to decide each and every moment how we want to act with our emotions, with the unpleasant situations, with the stress, this is actually increases our resilience. Am I right? Because resilience is the ability to navigate change, not just difficulty. Because our brains see all change is stressful, even good changes, all change is threatening, even good changes, even getting the job, landing the new client, our brains say, oh, amazing, could we die though? <laughs> so every change is stressful. Resilience is the ability to navigate any change. Really interesting. And you know, I'm also, I'm again taking it to the thriving mode, I think as leaders, in order to enable people be more relaxed and being able to be creative, we need to think how we can create this space for people to be more vulnerable, to feel safe, to let the, the guard down and, you know, share whatever comes to their mind, you know, be vulnerable. Because at the end of the day, this 
spaces create creativity. And nowadays, in order to be resilient, they're really connected to the ability to be creative, right? And innovative. That's Otherwise, true. we stay the same. I think that's really true. May I ask you a question? Sure. I don't know if I will have the answer, but ask. <laughs> well, I'm really interested because I hear from leaders a lot that they definitely want to help their team feel safe, but they don't want their team to feel like work is the place for them to express all of their truth and all of their feelings and be totally vulnerable and transparent because then all of those emotions, they, the leaders often feel, get in the way of the work, get in the way of showing up on time for the meeting, getting the things done. Is there a way to use mindfulness to help people find that balance? Yes, sure. You know, it's uh, funny that you're saying it because, first of all, mindfulness and leadership, I always say it starts within ourselves. If I'm as a leader, don't feel comfortable showing up and sharing my feelings, I won't be able to contain other feelings. So this is my answer. First of all, start with yourself and be comfortable with the unpleasant feelings. And it's okay to say, okay, I don't feel comfortable today. I'm struggling right now. I'm sad. It's okay. You know, emotion is motion. Yes. And once we don't give place to the, our emotions, we won't be motion. And usually what we do in the business world, we disconnect from our sensations, our emotions, and then we are not creative. And what I say that what, dif- what will differentiate us from the technology that increases the speed of light is our emotions. So I invite leaders to be courageous enough to connect to themselves and to give space to these emotions and even to talk them out to, loudly. Say, okay, I understand that we are stressed right now because of this client. I can see the stress. I also feel this uncomfortable feelings, although this is what we feel. What, let's see together what we can do differently. But you need to be one leader in order to create this vulnerability, safe space that people will join. And I invite leaders not to be afraid of these emotions because it's counterintuitive. Once you will give place for this emotion, people will go much more quicker to the solution. But if you will deny it, you won't be able to create the sleep. This is my... That is absolutely true. And the science bears that out as well, that when we try to get people to avoid or ignore or press down their emotions. It's a very temporary solution. And it often, just a little later on, blows up. Explode. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. You know, I'm also as a manager, as a leader, as a, I need to deal with difficult conversations to confront. It's part of the for the process, right? This is what makes you resilient and understanding and connecting to the broader picture and understanding that for the long term, it's a good thing to do. So, okay, it won't be comfortable. I will need to be vulnerable right now. I need to speak with my team and say, look, we are need to pivot the product. I don't know really the right direction. I only know it's not the right phase going forward. What do you think? So, you know, you need to fight. This is why I think mindfulness at the end of the day is the crucial tool because I don't have an equation. I don't have an equation to give the managers do this X and Y and it will be the consequences. No, listen to yourself and feel how much it's correct for you to bring forward and what's not right right now to bring forward. So being authentic and sharing what's right for you. For a leader, it's for sure you can come and say, all is devastating, our company is going fast. I don't know what to do. No, it's too much, you know. So... Listen to the right balance within yourself and 
hold the space for others. So this is why I invite, listen to yourself and it circles back to the beginning. Listen to your emotions, to your sensation and dare to speak this language. I know it's a new language saying that I don't feel comfortable. I feel either stressed, sad, confused, but it's part of life. And then you really give other the space to bring themselves. And from this chaos and holding this space of uncertainty, something new will emerge. So this is my uh, viewpoint. And it, it's a great answer to my question, because what I'm hearing you saying is model both expressing the emotion and moving forward towards the work. That's how you get your team to do the same. Holding the tension. Again, coming back to being present with the tension and finding the right solution, enabling it to emerge. Otherwise, you're all in one of the realm and you won't get to the solution. Dr. G, I can continue for hours with you, but we need to wrap up. So do you want to say something that I didn't ask you to share something? The only thing that I wanted to say is leaders are especially vulnerable to the narrative in our society that if you or your people are stressed, you're inherently doing something wrong. And that's what I want you to question. That's amazing. Dr. G, if people want to find out, to reach out, where can they find you? The easiest place to find me is on my website, which is askdrg.com. And I'm all over LinkedIn. So please find me there. Great. Thank you very much for your wisdom and experience. Thanks for the conversation. I learned a lot. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.